Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. What's the best tax deduction or tax break that you can claim on your taxes? I've been asked this many times, and more often than not, my answer has to do with deductions and tax breaks related to healthcare expenses. For years, as a business owner, the single most expensive check I would write every month, after payroll, of course, was for healthcare. And at home, even with health insurance, things are much better. Out-of-pocket expenses for medicines and surprise ER visits, together with regular checkups at the eye doctor and dentist, really do add up. One of the most popular healthcare-related tax breaks is an HSA, or Healthcare Savings Account. To talk with us about it, I've asked Megan Gorman to the show. Megan is a seasoned consultant, thought leader, and advisor in personal finance. She has spent over 18 years consulting with high-net-worth corporate executives and entrepreneurs in mastering their wealth. She is the managing partner and founder of her own wealth consulting and management firm, Checkers Financial Management in San Francisco, California. Megan's unique experience has allowed her to evolve into a thought leader in tax and personal finance. She is a senior contributor in personal finance for Forbes, like me. She's regularly quoted in leading publications, including the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Reuters, and NBC News. Megan can be heard regularly on the Money Tree Investing Show and Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Megan has recently joined the Board for National Endowment for Financial Education. She will be teaching as an adjunct professor of law at Golden Gate Law School in spring of 2021. She has a BA in history from Bryn Mawr College and a JD from Rutgers Law School. Thank you so much for being here, Megan. Kelly, thanks for having me on. So I mentioned at the top of the show that I actually think that there are a lot of tax deductions and tax breaks related to healthcare expenses that I now count among my favorites, which is kind of funny because I think traditionally when people talk about tax breaks, we're very, very quick to say that there aren't any for uh, healthcare because we all kind of focus on the uh, medical expenses deduction that's Schedule A, which especially now isn't as much as it used to be or isn't as valuable as it used to be. So can you kind of maybe walk us through some of the advantages that you see out there to tax care, uh, sorry, to healthcare related tax breaks like an HSA? And maybe also give us like a little synopsis of what an HSA is. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think when people hear tax breaks, they want to hear something sexy, right? Right. <laughs> and here we are when we're working with people, what do we do? We, we say, well, you should fund a health savings account. And you can almost see when you mention this to people and you start to say high deductible plan that their eyes glaze over. Right. But, but the truth is, you know, Kelly, one of the things we have to think about is healthcare costs and tax breaks. This has been a challenge in our system for over 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we go back and look at how we've treated healthcare in the tax code, it really started in the 70s when there started to be inflation for employers on medical plans. And so that's what got the IRS and Congress starting to think, 
how do we help people manage their medical costs? And through the years, we've seen things like flex spending accounts. We've seen Archer accounts. And Archer was sort of the precursor to what we call a health savings account. And I think it's good to always define these technical terms right out of the gate. Right. And a health savings account or an HSA is a tax-advantaged account created for individuals who are covered under a high-deductible health care plan to help them save for qualified medical expenses that are over and above the coverage limits or exclusions. And so that's a really, you know, convoluted definition in a lot of ways. And I think that what I always try to do with clients is explain to them that a health savings account is really another retirement vehicle. And Kelly, I don't know in your situation, do you feel that it's also a retirement vehicle as well? Well, I mean, I I do see the advantages of it in that way, absolutely. And the fact that you can, you know, move money from an IRA to an HSA, I think helps. In my particular situation, we tend to uh, use it up because of our expenses, but I see where if you don't, it would be valuable, absolutely. Yeah, and I think this is where, you know, for for anyone dealing with HSAs or, or thinking about using them, you know, I think what I always tell people is you have to factor it into your long-term planning and right. you have to make decisions how you're going to use this vehicle. So Kelly, in your situation, what you sort of told me is what I'm hearing is, you know, you you and your your husband have three children, you have mm-hmm. a lot more medical expenses. And so I'm hearing we we use this on an annual basis. Yes, there are a lot of broken bones. Breaking bones in my household. So yeah. Exactly. Especially when they're hockey players. Right. But I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can use the HSA. And this is really important to understand where it fits in your planning to make sure that you want that it makes sense for you tax-wise. Right. So I think, Kelly, you're sort of one type of family situation where the kids are still under the roof, you're still paying their medical expenses. But you know. I think what you have to do is look at HSAs from different fact patterns. And I would make the argument that anyone who is a Gen Zer or a millennial, the HSA is a really important retirement vehicle. So if you take that group and the group, you know, of people who before they have kids or who don't have kids, HSAs are really valuable because it does let you save for your retiree medical expenses. And what I find in retirement planning is this is where most people underestimate their expenses, is what they're going to need for retirement. Right. So what I often tell people is, out of the gate, if you don't have kids and you're not married, this is a great vehicle to set up and fund. And I would make the argument is almost more important than funding an IRA or or 401k, because this money can grow tax-deferred and come out tax-free for qualified medical expenses. And, you know, it also converts to an IRA feature after age 65. So for young people, this is a great vehicle because you can fund it. You can get a tax deduction for it on your tax return. And the money grows tax deferred, but you can invest the money. And the money can be put in a pool of different types of investments, just like your 401k. And I think that's really important because one of the areas where people make the most mistakes on health savings accounts is that they fund it and keep it all in cash. But if you're funding it and you think about, okay, I might have $500 I want to take out this year for qualified expenses, but the other part of my HSA I don't need for years, you want to put that money to work in the market. 
And I will tell you that most people don't do this. I think the um, Employee Benefits Research Institute has found less than 10% of all HSAs have been invested. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I see out there. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I will also say that I've never heard a tax professional give that advice. I think it's spectacular (laughs) advice, but I've never heard it talked about that way. I mean, I think that, you know, they've talked about investing it long term because you can roll it from year to year, but I haven't heard it it, in terms of immediate planning. I think I've always heard it talked about in terms of down the road, right? That's so that's I've, I've that's remarkable. Yeah, and I think you know, as tax professionals, you know, for anyone's listening, we we do have a fiduciary duty to our clients, right? So I think that we should always think about tying what our clients are doing on their annual tax return mm-hmm. to what direction our clients are going in. And, and look, you know, we it, it's a delicate line, right? Because as tax professionals, we're not investment professionals, but there are a lot of tools out there that we can point our clients to. Right. in order to help them with these decisions like investing your HSA. So one thing to always keep in mind is every year Morningstar does a phenomenal job of reviewing all of the eligible HSAs out there. And if we were all sitting here, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we'd be pulling our hair out because HSAs back then, they were inefficient because they didn't have great investments or or they had really high fees. Mm-hmm. But what's happened over the past decade is HSAs have become really efficient. They've become cost effective. You've got some of the biggest players in the game now in it, like Fidelity and Schwab, which means they're sort of equalizing the the the, the, the playing field. And then the other thing that's happening is that they're becoming like 401ks, where a lot of the investment choices are target retirement funds or target date funds, which means you invest in the funds. And it does the asset allocating for you. So as, as a tax professional, there's more tools out there to point your clients to, to maximize these accounts. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, I, I think that we have been programmed and, and I, I completely agree with you. We've been programmed to think it's cash in. You are most of the time, and, and I, I will say this as someone who has used them um, quite a bit, they actually, when, when you're trying to make the decision, um, and I actually recommend using a broker or an advisor when setting these up to begin with, even if you're setting them up through an employer, just to give you some advice on and the best ways to do it. It is often the case that they will try to limit or try to get you to limit your contributions based on your usage. So um, this yep. idea that you're, again, kind of front-ending it towards a, a goal later is, I think, something that not enough people are talking about. Yeah, and I think that there's also, it's interesting, Allegis, which is one of the providers of HSAs, they do surveys all the time of consumers. And there is a misconception from consumers because 15% of all consumers, when they're put, an HSA is put in front of them, they believe it's something just for high net worth and wealthy individuals. And that's completely not the case. Right. But what I would tell anyone listening who is saying, okay, well, this HSA, how do I do it? How do I decide I want to embark on this? This is where you've got to think about timing because to do a health savings account, you have to have a high deductible plan, which means right now for a lot of companies in at the back half of the year, we're in open enrollment. And it sounds odd, but you almost want to take your open enrollment material and go see your tax person. Mm-hmm. And you know, you usually don't correlate the two with each other, but it's really important to do this. And the reason is most of the time, when people are making their healthcare decisions, it's so overwhelming. 
and the rules change, you know, the plans change every year. The people just default and yes. stay with the plan that they're in. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. And Kelly, I think it sounds like you, you know this where to make the decision to go, go do a high deductible plan, it sounds frightening. Yes. Right? I mean, it sounds like you're in one, but that was a big decision. Yeah. And when, again, we, we talked, so when we moved over to, um, when we moved our plan over at the firm, we actually consulted with the broker and it was weird to me because I'd never thought about using a broker before, but now I'm very pro insurance broker because he uh, sent out to us the different plans, explained to us what was available and what it meant. And high deductible felt scary because it felt like, you know, again, what happens when yet another hockey (laughs) injury happens and then we're scrambling (laughs) to make the payment. And that's where he talked about using it in conjunction with, you know, FSAs, HSAs, these other kinds of plans. And I think that when we think about insurance, we do think about it in a vacuum. We don't think about how can we, you know, put these, dovetail these in with other plans and make this work kind of seamlessly and efficiently for the family. And, and I think we get hung up on the, um, the bottom line costs or the, the fear totally. of what the bottom line costs might be. Totally. And that's why I think if you, if you work with a broker, to your point, or you take your open enrollment materials to your tax professional and you say, I'm considering this high deductible plan, how do I strategize to maximize the HSA? That's sort of pulling everything together very nicely. And what I mean by that is, depending on if you're a single healthcare, you know, if you're a single person and you're doing a, getting your health plan or you have a family, you actually have to fund the HSA. Right. And a lot of people don't have strategies on how to do that. Now, the nice thing is over the past five or six years, employers have jumped in and have let people fund it based on their paycheck, right? right? So they can fund it on their paycheck. Employers are now offering a match on HSAs. I will tell you as an employer of a firm, I actually offer a match on my uh, employees' HSAs because I think they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. The employees and the HSA are brilliant. And, um, <laughs> So, (laughs) but I think what you want to do is figure out how do you hit the max? And for 2021, if you're a single person, the maximum amount you can put in an HSA is $3,600. And if you're in a family plan, it's Mm $7,200, right? And and just to make this more confusing, because you would think they would make this all uniform, there is also a catch-up to the HSA, but you have to be 55 to be able to put an additional $1,000 in. Right. So, so what I would say is when you go sit down with your tax professional, you want to strategize, okay, if I'm going to do the high deductible plan, how do I fund it across the year so that I max it out? Right. Because what you want to be able to do is put the maximum in every year. And what often helps people understand that is it's a pre-tax deduction, right? So that means even though you might be a family and you're putting in $7,200 a year into your HSA, net, net, you really might not be spending that much. Right. And I think people need to understand that savings. Do you think, Kelly? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, one of the articles that I wrote about this, I actually did the math for folks because I do think that people think about the money coming out of their paycheck and they see it go out, but they're not, the, the idea that it's pre-tax doesn't always stick. And you have to think about what is your marginal tax rate and, and how much is this actually saving me? And then when it comes back out, Again, the growth is is tax free. It's it could be free if you're using it for medical expenses. It's it's a great way to not only reduce your taxable income as the year goes by, but to also get a tax break down the line. It's true. And and the other thing that I find with most of us, right, is we're all struggling to save for retirement. 
And so when you're faced, the way that oftentimes we have to make financial decisions, it forces us into a silo. So we might decide to fund our 401k, and then we might decide to do an HSA, right? And as you're going through this, you're not tying it all together. And so what I would tell anyone who's listening to this podcast is if you if you have a great CPA or EA or tax professional you trust, take all of your plans to them. And the reason I say that is if you only have a limited amount of money to fund towards quote unquote retirement and healthcare, mm-hmm. what I find it's good to do is say, okay, I'm going to fund my 401k up to the match, right? Because that's free money the employer's mm-hmm. giving me and I don't want to miss out on that. Right. But I want to make sure I max out my HSA. And so you might split your contributions that way in order to maximize those two accounts. And I'm talking about from a pre-tax standpoint, the 401k and the HSA. Yeah. You mentioned that you, for your company, you offer an HSA. How do people find out whether or not their employer offers this? Because I do think, you know, when you get a new job and they give you the, uh, the stack of papers and you're kind of looking through it, it can be overwhelming. And sometimes you just want to get started, right? So you don't always know mm-hmm. what you're signing up for or not. How can you find out whether or not your employer offers a plan? And if they don't, is there a way that you can still participate? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I think the first thing is for the big employers out there, if you're at a Fortune 500 company, those types of companies do an excellent job on employee financial education and in putting in the open enrollment materials, almost examples of how you can fund it and be matched by the employer, right? I think that at smaller companies, what you have to do is you have to ask and you have to ask, you know, your HR department or your HR person. How does it actually work? And it is not uncommon, Kelly, as you pointed out, to be tied back into the broker. Mm -hmm. And the brokers are able to educate you on this. Now, the thing is, it's becoming more common that when an employer offers a high deductible plan, they already have the HSA account set up. But I will tell you, at times, you could have a high deductible plan that's HSA compatible, but your employer's not giving you an HSA, or you've gone out on the open market and obtained a high deductible plan. And the good news is you can go set up an HSA and still get the benefits for it. So you could go and, you know, let's say you're a self-employed individual, you have a high deductible plan. You could go to Optum Bank, Schwab, Fidelity, HSA Bank, all of those carriers and open up an HSA as a sidecar on your own. And going back to what I said earlier, the best way to decide who you want to work with, go look at Morningstar's ranking of the plans. They will go through the plans, the features they have, the expenses, the investment choices, and it really can motivate you to pick the right plan for yourself. So Kelly, I have a really cool planning technique I want to share with you that I think tax people might find a little more sexy (laughs) because it's sort of a fun thing. So One of the things I love to do with HSAs, and I do work in the high net worth space, so my clients have a lot of excess cash flow, but I have more and more of my clients with their kids on their healthcare plan to their 26. Kelly, I'm assuming you see that a lot as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of the right thing to do to help kids get launched and so on. Especially if they're still in school, because not only are more and more kids going to graduate school, but especially in a COVID world, um, and even a little bit before that, we're seeing a lot of deferrals, gap years, 
those kinds of, of uh, you know, travel internships. A lot more, I think, than back in the day when we were in school, where kids might not be able to afford their own health insurance, even if they are, you know, out of the house. So, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I think one of the things, if you've got children who are adults who are on, on your healthcare plan, I want you to think about this strategy. So in tax, right, there's something called a tax dependent, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then there's also what we call a healthcare dependent. So, you know, when a child's in school, they're probably your tax dependent and your healthcare dependent. But let's say you've got a 24-year-old son or daughter who's now on their first job who you're not claiming on your tax return anymore, but you're still keeping on your healthcare plan. And you are using a high deductible HSA compatible plan. Okay. So one of the cool planning ideas out there is you would obviously continue to fund your HSA with the family maximum, which is $7,200. But because your child is a dependent under your HSA, but you are not claiming them on your tax return, they can open their own HSA and fund it with the family amount of $7,200. Wow. Now, it's really powerful. Now, remember, it stops at age 26 because they have to come off your healthcare plan, and then they would revert to being a single healthcare payer, which you can fund an HSA with $3,600 for 2021. But even if you have a child who are ages 23 to 26, and you fund, help them fund that for a couple of years, that's $7,200, and you just let them invest it and compound and grow, it is unbelievable what they'll have when they turn 65. You can do something when your child is in their early 20s that will help pay their medical costs 40, 50 years down the line. So if you have clients or you have excess cash flow and you have that fact pattern, and remember, talk to your tax professional about it, where your child is on your healthcare plan, but they are no longer your tax dependent, they can fund the HSA with the family amount. And it's it's just such a brilliant little fun strategy to, to put out there. Are you seeing people take advantage of this a lot? I have clients that do it. Yes. Yes. First yes. I've heard of it. So it's clever. Yeah. It's funny. It, it, HSAs are one of those things where you almost have to talk to people who work in this area. And I give credit to that idea because I actually went to an HSA conference and I was talking to a woman in line um, at the buffet, which now sounds antiquated because we're in COVID time. But we're standing <laughs> over the buffet chatting. And I was saying, I wrote for Forbes. And she said, oh, have you ever heard of this idea? And she told it to me. And then, you know, I started working on it. And it does work. I've done it with clients in real time. So I think it's one of those fun little things that if you have the cash flow to do, you should definitely do it. So now I'm going to ask you a uh, harder question, which is, so let's say you have these plans and you mm-hmm. you need to take money out for from somewhere for other things, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say something comes up and you need to pay the rent or whatever and you weren't expecting to. Obviously, um, if you take money out of this plan, um, it is going to uh, be taxed and then subject to a penalty if it's not for qualifying mm-hmm. medical expenses. Do you recommend when people are looking for ways, you know, we always say don't touch your retirement. Would you say don't touch the HSA over retirement? Or, I mean, obviously things aren't always equal, but when people are kind of, because I think one of the one of the concerns about these plans for folks who are not high net worth is that they become tempting in this much the same way as we see people 
you know, drain their 401ks when bad things happen, right? Something happens and you only have a little bit of savings and it becomes a vehicle for paying other things. Do you think that it is something that, you know, you would say never, ever, ever touch? Where would you put it like in, in maybe in comparison to retirement? Or, you know, or do you have any other options, what you would suggest to somebody in this situation? Because I think well, I'm getting yeah. these kinds of questions a lot with respect to the pandemic, right? Because there are a lot of people who do have unexpected expenses that maybe aren't medical, they're not retirement, but, you know, their savings account is gone and they're maybe out of work right now. Like, wh- what do you recommend when people don't have the ability to just dip into a savings? Is this something that should always be off limits? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think it's a couple things. I think, you know, and this is the importance of of having someone to talk to as you go through these financial decisions. I think if you're at this point, what you have to do is map out ahead. When is future liquidity coming? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because it drives the decisions you have to make today. Right. So if this is a temporary liquidity issue, right, you're unemployed, but, you know, let's say you're in the restaurant industry but you believe the pandemic will end and that the restaurants will will come back, that's a temporary liquidity situation. In those situations, I would probably look at utilizing some of the CARES Act provisions regarding retirement plans right. in terms of taking loans or taking distributions. Because part of Congress's intent, and Kelly, you can say this almost better than I can, was to help people get access to liquidity yes. and not penalize them like they do under the traditional rules. But listen, I'm going to be directly blunt here. If you need the money and if you are in trouble, then you have to take the money from the HSA if that's your only option. But really, you know, look through what a quali- what I would tell anyone is if you're going to take the money out, really map out what you're going to use it for. Because if some of it is for qualified medical expenses, I would prefer you not get a penalty on that. But, you know, people are in dire straits right now and, and a penalty is what it is if it means that you can have liquidity to keep a roof over your head and food on your table. But yeah, I would look towards retirement plans first and then the HSA second. And I think one of the points I'm kind of uh, pulling out from what you're saying that I think gets missed. And to be honest, I also think of um, accounts sometimes in baskets rather than as working together like a, a complete system. I think sometimes we think of again, especially health savings accounts, because they are so specific for medical expenses as being in a separate basket from your retirement savings, from your everyday savings, from your operating expenses. And I think one of the things that I hope listeners will leave with today, and and definitely what I will, is that we need to stop doing that. (laughs) We need to start thinking of all of these pieces, even those that are associated with employers, because I think that's one of the reasons why people forget about the HSA or forget about the benefits is kind of earlier to your point about defaulting on um, the kind of health care coverage that you get. You just kind of use the same every year. I think when you set up an HSA, sometimes you forget about it and it's just there, especially if your employer is helping to um, administer it. And it sounds like one of the things you're advocating is that, you know, you should always take all of these pieces together to your tax professional rather than mm-hmm. I'm in a, I'm having difficulty now. Can I take it out of this account? You know, look at a bigger picture, but also I'm planning for the future. You know, how should I do this? How, how should I arrange my 401k? How should I arrange my HSA? Right. And I want to bring up something that sort of, I've always noticed over the years in working with people, which is 
women in the household are often the sacrificers, right? They're the moms. (laughs) They're the ones who want to do everything for their kids and their spouse. One of the things I will tell, tell you about HSAs is women need to use these accounts, right? Because women live longer than men from what we see from the data. It's not always yes. true, but you know, you look at the statistics, women have a likelihood of living well into their 90s. I think a married couple today, a married heterosexual couple who are ages 50 today, the, the, the wife has a 13% chance of making it past age 90. So you start to see these statistics and you have to think about that in context of an HSA because when you set up your HSA and you fund it, so let's say you fund it with the annual contribution of $7,200. What you really need to do is usually you should keep a a portion of it for this year's expenses, Mm -hmm. a portion of it for your family's long-term expenses. And ladies, keep a portion of it because you're going to have to pay your expenses for healthcare well into your 80s and 90s, where you might not still have your spouse living. Right. It's a really good tool for women and longevity. And this is where women need to be a little selfish, even if it's every year you take $500 of the contribution and tuck it away into one of the target retirement funds. And that's where, you know, if you think about it from an investing standpoint, what you're going to use in the short term, keep in cash. What you're going to use for your family in the long term, you might use one target retirement fund. And then what you're going to use for yourself, ladies, you know, down the line for longevity purposes, you should put in another target retirement fund. And that way you sort of have it in buckets inside the HSA that allows you to use it to reach these goals. Because I think that's the thing is most people, when you look at an HSA, it just seems like another account, like a flex spending account, which is why there's so much consumer confusion there. But if you think about this account strategically as this great tax break, that, that, and then this really cool vehicle to use for your family today for their retirement and for longevity, it becomes a very different account. Yeah, I think, again, kind of going back to one of my, the things I said earlier, this is not, uh, to be honest, and you you know me well enough, that I didn't think this was the conversation we were going to have today. And I'm glad that we <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm totally glad that we did because I, I genuinely thought we were going to come on and you were going to tell me what the limits were and what qualified as a medical expense. and why everybody needs to have one at their workplace. Like I thought that was going to be the conversation and which is still a valuable conversation. But I think that what you've said about thinking about this longer term is something that I have not heard before. I mean, I've heard it in, you know, you and I both write for Forbes. So I've heard it in bits and pieces, but not like as part of a bigger dialogue. And I think it's just really valuable. And especially the the point about women, I can absolutely test one of my mothers. um, My mom is a cancer survivor and is also a diabetic. And one of her biggest fears is that she's always been tied to my dad's healthcare plan and what happens mm-hmm. when he's gone and who's going to pay for these expenses. So I think that's a really good point to make, especially now that women are, are in a, typically in a different situation where a lot of women are working um, and have the ability to contribute as well. So thank you for that. Yeah. Again, I think it's a different perspective. Yeah. And I do want to give just a couple little factoids like that. So remember, you can fund your HSA till you file your tax return. So if you have an HSA compatible plan this year and you haven't funded it yet, it's not too late. You can still go forward with it. I have had to go to Fidelity on April 15th (laughs) and fund it for a year for somebody. So it is doable. And remember for 2020, it's $3,550 as a single person and $7,100 if you are uh, in a family plan. And next year, it'll go up to $3,600 for single 
and 7,200 for family plans. And the catch-up is a thousand. Right. And the one other little tax factoid that drives me crazy because it's, I'm from New Jersey and, and I live in California and there are two states that are not on the HSA train and that is New Jersey and California. <laughs> so unfortunately, <laughs> they do not allow the deduction. And what makes it really hard, like I said, this is a California tax preparer. California requires us to tax the earnings inside an HSA. Oh, wow. But I will say, yeah. And by the way, the statements aren't made for that. So as a tax professional, you're like, oh, I got to go through and figure out what all these dividends paid and everything. So I will tell you that even though if you're in New Jersey and in California, two of the most populous states in the nation, despite the fact that they've, you know, they're not, they're not playing the game on the HSA side, I still think when you run the numbers, it is well worth doing it, even if you live in those states. But just be aware as a tax professional that there's some quirks there. And, and anyone who's in California, you know, when your tax professional asks you to give, to give you all the statements for the year from your HSA account, it's because California doesn't comply. And so we have to calculate that. And you're just saying that on the state-specific side, just for clarity, right? So if anyone's yes, listening and, and panicking that is somehow not allowed on, on, on the 1040, that's not the case. It's just state-specific. No. Are those yes, the only two exactly. states that you know of? Only those two states. So it's frustrating. But again, you know, they don't want to give that deduction. Right. But withdrawals from HSAs for medical purposes will be deductible on the New Jersey tax return subject to a 2% exclusion. So New Jersey does try to do something on the other end, where California does not. But gotcha. again, you still get the federal deduction. So it's still well worth doing. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been, I think, really enlightening, not just for my listeners, but also for me today. And if people wanted to find you and you wanted to be found um, either on social media, <laughs> either on social media or on the web, where should they look for you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Wealth Intersect, or you can email me at Megan at thewealthintersection.com always happy to take questions and, and give guidance on this stuff. And obviously, I write for Forbes. So you can find me on the Forbes site as well. Thank you again for your time today. I think this is terrific. And Kelly, thank you for having me on. You are my favorite Forbes writer. You are such a star in tax. And oh, it's, thank it's you. been an honor to sit on the show and be on here today with you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. No problem. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.